for us. You guys can be seated. Let me pray for us as we get started. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you uh, that you... You do the work of saving us, of making us look like you. Uh, we thank you for just the ability to have the freedom to, to gather in your house this morning with your people and, and what a good thing that does to our souls. And um, God, I just ask that you would uh, give Jay the words to, to speak uh, to us right now that are your words. Um, let him uh, touch our hearts with the authority that comes from, from who you are and from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for not making a mass exodus when Dennis announced that I would be preaching today. I do hope that you'll be in prayer for Dr. Bird as we speak. He is meeting with his doctor. Nancy left the church earlier this morning to take him to his doctor. We certainly wish him a very speedy uh, recovery. Chad, God's word with you. I encourage you to turn to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, the eighth chapter. This morning, I've entitled my message, The Unseated Generation. The Unseated Generation. We're going to be looking at a very familiar parable this morning. And I want to bring out to your attention a focal point uh, on on this uh, parable that Jesus is teaching. Let me set the stage for you. He's been going all around this region of Galilee... He's been proclaiming the Word of God. He's been healing people. And now he comes to this point in his ministry where people are literally flocking to him. Town to town, they're coming to meet with him. And so the crowd is so great on the banks of the Sea of Galilee that he jumps into this small boat and they push it offshore just a little ways, and he begins to teach. And we're going to pick up with what he's teaching there in verse 4 of chapter 8. Now keep in mind, as we look at this, we're going to be talking about the unseated generation. Beginning with verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other fell on the good soil. It came up. And it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Now skip down with me, if you would, to verse 11. Here's where Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts Why? So that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocks are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. When they hear it with no root, they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, But as they go out their way, they are choked by life's worries 
its riches, its pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart. When they hear the word, they retain it. And by perseverance, they produce a crop. Would you pray with me? Father God, in the moments that we have this morning, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. First of all, God, I pray for that person in our midst today that doesn't have the assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, may this truly be an hour of salvation for them. I pray for those in our midst, Father, who are off track in their ongoing pursuit to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Father, may this be an hour where you place them back on track and they take seriously the commands that you have given to us to serve you by sharing the Word of God with those with whom we come in contact with. Father, perhaps I'm speaking to someone today who is searching for a new church home. Perhaps they're new in our community, God, and they've moved all their furniture, they've brought their dog and their cat and their parakeet bird. Father, everything is settled, but where they're going to serve you. I pray today, God, if it's your desire that they would become a part of this family of God at Cornerstone. And as we minister to them, Father, they will help us minister to this community, sowing the seed, the Word of God, to those with whom we have contact. Bless this time, God. May you be honored and glorified. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be accepted to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I know you're accustomed to having Dr. Bird give you a takeaway. So in case you're ready to fall asleep, let me give it to you real quick. The takeaway is simply this. If you're a child of God, if you've been born again under the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to sow the seed. And what is that seed? It's the Word of God. We are called to show it with everyone with whom we have contact. That's the takeaway of today's message. You know, Dr. Chuck Kelly president and professor of evangelism at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, teaches each year his new evangelism students about Dr. Billy Graham's statement. Several years ago, Dr. Billy Graham made the statement that he believed that America has already reaped the harvest, that America has already reaped the harvest. You're probably thinking, as I did when you hear that statement, how could that possibly be true? How could it be that America has thousands and thousands of people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and yet God's great evangelist, Dr. Billy Graham, says the harvest has already been reaped. Well, Dr. Graham's observation was that the time when this nation was white with harvest has already been reaped, and we're back to a sowing time in America. 
The second thing Dr. Kelly said is what I want you to focus your attention on today is this. He said, we are living in an unseated generation. An unseated generation. Now, that parable we just read seems to fall into three general conclusions. First of all, I want you to see what the Bible has to say that this man went out and sowed in the field. It was the seed, the seed this man sowed. The Bible says he sowed it by the wayside. He sowed it in the soil that had rocks in it. He sowed it in the parts of the fields where it was choked out by weed and by other plants that were coming up. But he also sowed it in the good soil. He sowed it everywhere he went. I can just imagine that man walking through that field and he thought, well, there's some good soil there. I'll just throw some seed out there. And he could have stopped at that, but he didn't. The Bible says he went on and he looked over there on the wayside and he threw some seed out over there and he saw some uh, soil that had lots of rock in it and he threw some seed out there. And then he, he saw uh, areas where there were weeds growing up. He threw seed there. But it says he also sowed it in the area where there was a good soil. There was good soil. So, this seed that this man sowed, what was it? Well, Jesus says that the seed is the Word of God. So what the Bible is telling us is that this man that went out and sowed the field was in essence a man sowing the Word of God. The Bible is telling us that this seed, the Word of God, was distributed, it was scattered, if you will, throughout all the various places that this man went. Now, congregation, I want to say to you this morning that no man, no woman, no little boy or little girl is ever going to become a believer in Jesus Christ, is ever going to be saved apart from hearing the Word of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of God. So you see, my friends, no man will ever, from a part of the Word of God, uh, be saved. Now, that doesn't mean he has to hear a full-length message. It doesn't mean that he has to have the Bible read to him parable by parable. It doesn't mean that he has to know every biblical truth of the Word of God. But I submit to you today, no man or woman, no boy or girl will ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the Word of God being shared uh, with him. It just will not happen. So when the man went out and he began to sow the field down, it was, in essence, likened to a man sowing down his generation with the Word of God. Now, secondly, there's a second division here, and that's the par in this parable, and that's uh, 
about the soils. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I do want to make a, a fleeting reference to that. There were four types of soil. It says, first of all, he threw the seed by the wayside, where the birds did what? They devoured it. They ate it up. Men had trampled on it. It wasn't growing. It was sitting on the top of the land. And the birds would come by and they would feed upon it. Secondly, it says that he threw those seeds in an area that had rocky soil. There was no moisture there. So the seed would go down, but because there was very little moisture and the root system could not mature, it didn't spring up. And then there was the, the sowing of the seed in the area where there were weeds, if you will, where the seed went into the soil, there was moisture there, it began to develop its root system, but because of those things around it, it was choked out and never came to fruition. But there was seed that was sown in the good soil, and that soil reaped a harvest a hundredfold of the seed that was sown. Now, that's important for us to know, but that's not the message for today. I did want to mention that to you uh, in, in a fleeting statement there. Now, I want you to notice that those seeds that I said that were, uh, were thrown in the, in the soil um, went through all the areas. You see, when that fellow went out and began to sow down the field... He didn't look and say, I'm just going to put it in the good places. I'm going to put it everywhere. I'm going to give an opportunity everywhere for that seed to go. Now, friends, I want you to notice, this is important of what I'm going to say to you today about our unseeded generation. The third division of this parable, and the one that we're going to be looking at for just a few moments is about the sower. About the sower. You see, this man went out and he began to sow that seed. Well, who was the sower? What are the uh, the uh, the what what are those uh, with uh, the, uh, the that sow the seed? Who are they, and what are they that that sow the seed? Well, I want to give you some examples of those very quickly. First of all, I believe that parents are the sower of seeds. You see, you think about why you're here. You senior adults, why are you here? You young men and women you know, that are married, you married couples, why are you here? Teenagers, children, how can you say that you bless God because you know you're saved, you're a believer in the Word of God, Jesus Christ is your Savior, why can you do that? How are you able to do that? Because somewhere, sometime in your life, someone planted a seed in your heart. Shared with you that God's Son, Jesus Christ, came from heaven as a man and bore the sins of the world upon his body on the cross at Calvary. And for those of us who call upon him to forgive us of our sins and accept him and accept his ways will be saved and thereby have a relationship not only with him but God the Father as well. And sometimes that sower is a parent. Is a parent. 
I am a child of God because I had a daddy and a mama that when I was a little bitty boy taught me about the love of God, instructed me on his word. I have three brothers. And I can tell you that every night as a family, we would gather in the living room and we would have a devotional time. My daddy would take the Bible and he would read scripture. He and my mother would oftentimes alternate and they would have a devotional thought to go along with that scripture. And then we as a family knelt on the floor together and we each would have a time of prayer. I didn't understand everything my parents taught me when I was a little bitty boy, but friends, they put that seed in my heart. They placed that seed in my heart, and in God's timing, he came into my life and helped me to realize the importance of making Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. I can stand here this morning and proclaim the Word of God because I had a loving mother and daddy who loved me so much, they wanted me to know the same Lord and Savior that they had chosen to serve in their lives. And today, I'm saved because of that. Perhaps you can give that same type of testimony. You had a mother and father who shared the Word of God with you. Perhaps you became a Christian because of the church that you were involved in. Churches share the Word of God through the spreading of the seed of the Word of God. You say, well, Jay, don't they still do that today? They do indeed. But we would be very naive to believe that every church that calls themselves a church is still spreading the seed of the Word of God. You see, there are literally thousands and thousands of people in America today that will go to church and they'll sit in a seat and they'll hear someone preach that will never share the eternal love of God, who loved you so much that he gave his only son in order that you might have salvation and a relationship with him. Well, there was another place where people received the seed, and that was in the schools. Now, I know today when I say what I'm about to say, that there are going to be some of you folks that, have, that are here that are going to have a particular uh, problem with what I may say. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm not trying to be obnoxious. I'm not trying to be offensive in any way. I'm simply giving you my perspective of where I believe America is today in our unseated generation. You see, there was a time in America when a little boy and a little girl would go to their schools and where they would walk into that school building, somewhere in that school, chances are there was a plaque that hung on the wall of the Ten Commandments. Now, they may not have understood all of that. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. They might not have understood that. But it, at least it was there, and it was planting a seed in their heart. Chances are good that they would walk into their classroom and there would be a man or a woman in that classroom that would teach them by saying, boys and girls, as we start our day, it's time for us to have a devotion. And they would perhaps take out the Word of God or they would take out some devotional book and they would lead those children in a time of devotion. And when they finished that devotion, they'd say, now, boys and girls, let's bow our head and close our eyes and let's pray. There was a man or a woman teacher that would do that. 
I went to Acock Junior High School, now called Acock Middle School, from the first to the ninth grade back then. Every morning we started out that way when I was in elementary school. In the junior high area, in the middle school area, oftentimes the devotions were led by another student. But it always took place. I remember one day when I was in the sixth grade, the teacher came in the room and said, boys and girls, we have some visitors with us today, and they have a present to give you. And in walked these two men with a box. And they walked around the room, and they placed in each student's hand a little New Testament. I was so proud of that New Testament. I carried that New Testament with me everywhere I went. When I went to Vietnam in 1970, I carried that New Testament with me. I was able to lead three different airmen in my time there to the Lord Jesus Christ using that little testament. Why? Because the schools had planted a seed in my heart. And I accepted the Lord when I was 12 years old. And I had the Word of God in my hand that I could share with others. Well, they had teachers that would help them know the Lord of God. But there was another thing. There was another place where people were so down, and that was in society. In society. You see, brothers and sisters, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, even 35 years ago, 25 years ago, anywhere in America you went, moral principles and ethical truths were the right and were embraced by people unquestioned with no interference whatsoever without regard to discussion. And while I'm not suggesting to you that the generation here today are... Uh, Believers, all are, are saved believers. At least they had some kind of respect for moral principles and ethical truths. It was the norm. They were, uh, may not believe uh, that it was always necessary to tell the truth, but they believed it was right. They might not have always practiced honesty, but they knew in their heart it was the right thing to do. And that was the structure in which American society was formed. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt honor your mother and father. That was the moral code of ethics in America. Because the, our generation got seated down by the word of God, many people... Many people came to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now let's come forward to the year 2016. Let's look at our generation today. Let's see what happens to little Bobby today in his walk with the Lord. Well, and I picked the name Bobby. That's my oldest brother, and he was always picking on me. So that's why Bobby's our example. Bobby was born into a family. Let's say that if statistics are believable, little Bobby was born into a home with one parent living in that home. He'll grow up with a daddy or a mama, but chances are real that he won't have both a daddy and a mama in his home. He'll 
be raised in a single parent home. Now, I'm not here uh, this morning uh, to tell you that single parents can't rear their children in the right way. Quite the contrary. I know many single mamas. I know several single dads who have the responsibility of raising their children on their own. And they're doing a phenomenal job with it. A marvelous job with it. Friends, that's not the biblical practice. That's not what God desires for the family. God's desire is that every boy and girl grow up in a home with a mama and a daddy that loves them and will teach them the Bible truths. Second of all, if chances are to be believed, he'll be born into a home that doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There won't be a mama or a daddy in that home that love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to share that with their children. With that in mind, do you think that little Bobby is going to attend church? If his mama and daddy doesn't attend church, chances are real, he's not going to attend church. So if he doesn't receive the seed at home, he doesn't receive it in the church, where does little Bobby receive the Word of God? You say in the schoolhouse. You have any other funny stories you want to tell me? In the schoolhouse? Well, you can't even mention God in the schoolhouse. And very rarely do you ever hear biblical principles and truth of ethics taught in a classroom in the schoolhouse. Chances are, if they hear the name God, it's in the phrase of profanity. Not because someone is trying to share the Word of God with them. So if they don't get it in the schoolhouse... Maybe they can get it in society. Maybe they'll be taught their values, their principal values, and their moral truths in society. Friends, that's exactly right. That's where little Bobby's going to learn his principal truths. That's where he's going to learn his ethical, moral relationships with his fellow human beings. On the television and in social media. That's where he's going to hear it. That's where little Bobby is going to form it. That's why today it's all right for little Bobby to steal. It's all right for little Bobby to grow up and become a a murderer. It's all right for little Bobby to decide, well, he doesn't feel comfortable in the men's room. He'd rather be in the ladies' room. He doesn't feel comfortable dressing out for Jim in the boys' locker room. He'd rather do it in the girls' locker room. It's all right because that's what society has taught him. Friends, can I tell you today, if it's morally right, it's probably politically right incorrect. And it's time that the church stood up and had a voice. Because our children are in a a generation that's completely unseated. When I entered into the ministry back in 1990, in 1991, we began as a group of youth pastors here in Greensboro having youth revivals once a year. I'll never forget, we brought, one year we brought the power team from Texas here. And they'd asked several of us youth pastors to go out and get all the supplies they were going to need for their revivals that they were holding. We took them out to different schools. One of the schools we took them to was Northwest High School. My good friend and senior pastor out at, at um, Central Baptist Church in Oak Ridge, Roy Carter, was responsible for buying all the power lifting stuff. Well, he went out and he couldn't remember if he was supposed to get hot, Rolled steel or cold rolled steel? 
in forms of bars for these men to be able to bend. <laughs> it was sort of funny because he got the wrong kind. And over at Northwest High School, one of the guys took that, thing, that bar steel and he put it around his neck and he went to bend it and he couldn't bend it even a quarter of an inch. It was the wrong steel. So very quickly he thought as he was trying to bend it, he says, you don't believe I can bend this steel. You come to the revival tonight at First Baptist Church downtown Greensboro and I'll show you how to bend this steel. Well, that night he did. In fact, he bent it so much, it took two guys to get it off of his neck because he had bent it almost in a complete circle. We had about 350, 400 kids come to that revival that night. Over 70 of them were saved. But you don't see that anymore. You don't see youth revivals in Greensboro much anymore. You don't see that number of young people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the church isn't doing its job in reaching as many people as we can for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is the result of an unseated generation? Very quickly and we'll be through. What is the result of an unseated generation? There are several things. First of all, an unseated generation is unaware. They're unaware of what's to come and the life ahead of them. So they live their life the way they want to. And when the time comes and death approaches, they're not going to be in heaven with the rest of us because they're totally unaware of the need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, they're not only unaware, but they're unafraid. You believe there are people today that are unafraid of the judgment of God? They're unafraid of the judgment of society? They're unafraid. If you don't believe it, last week I was watching television. Did you see the newscast where people were blatantly throwing things through windows in downtown Charlotte and taking merchandise from those places? And they knew the cameras were rolling. Why? Because they're unafraid. Thirdly, the unseated generation is unrestrained. If it feels good, do it. If it brings pleasure to you, if it's your passion, you do it. They're unrestrained. They'll do, they'll say, whatever they want. Lastly, the unseated generation is unsaved. Friends, we've got thousands and thousands of people right here in Greensboro whose eternal destiny is hell because we didn't love them enough, we didn't care for them enough to share the Word of God. Oh, dear Christian, if you consider yourself numbered among the saints of God, it's your responsibility to sow that seed wherever you go. Some of it is going to be choked out. The Bible tells us there in verse 11 that the devil will choke it out. Why? Because he doesn't want people saved. And dear friend, can I tell you this? The devil doesn't have to worry about those people anymore because he knows we're living in an unseated generation. So that gives him full opportunity to work within the walls of our families, our homes, and our churches. He's preventing us from doing the job that we ought to be doing. I beg of you, don't let that happen. If you have a generation of unseated, when you're going... Uh, around the city of Greensboro, what are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to share Jesus with him? Are you going to sow the seed? Can God count on you to do what he's given each of us the responsibility to do? To sow the seed, the word of God, with this generation. That's the good news. We can sow the seed everywhere we go. That last verse we read, some of it will fall on good soil. Some of it will take hold and bring full fruition of growth as another Christian. What are you doing to bring others to Jesus Christ? Would you stand quietly? Let's pray together. And Dennis is going to come and lead us in some music.